And Two Cities Church, it is so good to be with you this morning. If you're tuning in online, welcome. We're so glad that you are tuning in with us this morning. My name is Billy Judge. I am the lead church planter of Steel City Church up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're going to hop right in. Um, we are going to be in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. And we're going to carry it through to Luke 10.4. So turn in your Bible or on your phone to Luke 9. 57, Luke 9, 57. And while you're doing that, I wanna do two things. The first thing I wanna do is I wanna talk about my family for a minute. There's a picture of my family up on the screen. This is my wife, Sarah. Sarah and I have been married for seven years. She works as an accounting professor at a university up in Pittsburgh. And those are my two boys. Uh, William is two and a half. He's our blonde boy. And this morning I FaceTimed him and I said, buddy, I'm preaching today. Would you pray for daddy? And he said, no, daddy, I prayed last time. And so I'm super thankful for him. And um, John Robert is seven months old and he's, you know, getting ready to crawl. He's doing the push up and the rock forward and back thing. And so uh, things are about to be next level in the judge household uh, over the next few months. Um, the second thing I want to do is I want to just say thank you. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you, because I don't know if you know this, but Two Cities Church has been a lifeline for Steel City Church and for me over the past few months. You have prayed for us. You have financially supported us. Um, you have sent some of your best people who were in those seats just a year ago to be part of our launch team. And finally, I want to say thank you to Pastor Kyle. Man, your pastor, Kyle Mercer, is the real deal. I hope you know that. He is, yeah, you can clap for him. He's great. <laughs> you should clap for him. <laughs> Kyle has been, Kyle, you've been a huge encouragement to me over the past few months. I love learning from your leadership and just really appreciate your investment on a personal level. So thanks, man. So we are in Luke 9, 57. Luke 9, 57, starting, uh, and we'll go through uh, uh, 10, 4. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna intro you to the text. Um, we're gonna unpack the text together um, I'll kind of talk through some things that are relatable to uh, relate with the text. And then um, I want to share some personal experiences that I have had in church planning that I think will resonate with you as well, given what we get into in our message. And then I'm going to end with a challenge. I'm going to ask you to do something today at the end of our service that I do every single day for one minute. I'm going to ask you to join me in doing that as we uh, continue our week uh, tomorrow morning. And so Let's talk about politics for a minute. Tough transition there, right? <laughs> now, we know that political commentary has kind of been a, a hot topic in, in our nation over the past few months, but this is not anything new to the United States. This has been going on for hundreds of, hundreds of years, and um, there was a guy, a Frenchman in the 1800s named Alexis de Tocqueville. And Alexis de Tocqueville wrote one of the best books on America and on democracy, and the name is fitting. It was called Democracy in America, okay? And what he did uh, is, was, as, as he was compiling his research, he studied churches in America, he studied the prison system, the education system, and he really got a strong grasp on kind of just the cultural moment of the 1830s. And here's what one of his takeaways was. He said that the predominant taste of Americans was one of comfort. He said that the predominant taste of Americans was one of comfort. And then he said this quote, it's up on the screen in his book. He said, consider any individual at any period in his life 
And you will always find him preoccupied with fresh plans to increase his comfort. Consider any individual at any point in his life and you will find him preoccupied with fresh plans to increase his comfort. Guys, we are obsessed with our comfort. We are obsessed with being comfortable from the moment that we're born. From the moment that we're born, we cry out for our mother's milk to fill our bellies and comfort us. And then we have plans to increase our comfort our entire lives and then we all hope to die, I know I do, in the comfort of my own home, surrounded by the people who I love. We are obsessed with our comfort. But let me ask you this question. I, wanna, I want you to consider this question for just a minute. And here it is. Are there any situations, are there any scenarios in which cleaving or splitting from your comfort, the benefits of doing that, the benefits of cleaving from your comfort, are there any scenarios where the benefits of cleaving from your comfort outweigh the benefits of clinging to it? And I think that the answer is, is a resounding yes. I mean, think about it, all through history. You guys just went through Exodus with Pastor Kyle, right? And uh, what, what, if, what if Moses, what if Moses allowed Israel to cling to their comfort? What if Moses did that? Let's, let's bring it to kind of a more modern era, women's suffrage movement, right? Right to vote. What if Susan B. Anthony, what if she clinged to her comfort? MLK. What if he clings to his comfort? I think that if there were people, if there were no people brave enough to cleave from their comfort and they just cling to it, I think that we would have little progress, little innovation, little justice or no justice at all. And I think that evil would prevail in every area of our life if people merely clinged to their comfort. And so what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna kind of give you the background of our text. What you're gonna see is Jesus walking along a road with a few of his followers. And while he's walking along the road with a few of his followers, he's gonna be approached, he's gonna have three different interactions with different men who uh, miss out on this divine invitation that God is giving them to step into his mission, to do that which God is calling them to do. And they miss out because they refuse to cleave from their comfort. So I'm gonna read one of the key verses from this passage. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna begin unpacking the text together. Here's a key verse, Luke 10, two. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Jesus says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this church and thank you for worship that we get to come together freely every Sunday as the gathered people of God whether in our homes or in person here, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray that you would guide our time and I pray that you would raise up workers from Two Cities Church, that you would call them out, that even today as your word goes out, people would make the decision to cleave from their comfort and to step into your great commission. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. So what comforts do you and I cling to? 
I think that this text reveals three comforts that you and I often cling to. The first is this, we cling to the comfort of our conversion the comfort of our conversion story, and it's beautiful for everybody. If you have a conversion story, your story is beautiful. For me, I was 17 years old. Uh, an unlikely classmate shared the gospel with me, and I met Jesus with a hangover in the silence of my bedroom. But let's look at this guy in chapter 9, verse 57. This is the first interaction of three that Jesus is going to have on this road. 957, Jesus walking along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus gives him this unique response and says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Look, I admire this first would-be follower of Jesus. I, I really like this guy. Like he is excited about Jesus. He's excited about following Jesus. He's telling him, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will run through a wall for you, Jesus. I'll take your word to the ends of the earth. Like this guy actually thinks he might change the world for Jesus. He's kind of like that college student who comes to know Jesus his first week on campus, right? And is super excited about what God is doing in his heart. He's overzealous, he's sharing the gospel. He goes home on Thanksgiving break and he tells his parents that he's gonna quit school and go try, uh, move abroad to go be a missionary. And his parents think that he got involved in a cult at college, right? Like that's what this guy is like. And I, I, there's like an earnestness about him. And I think Jesus probably sensed that earnestness, but his response is so interesting. He looks at this overzealous, immature follower of Jesus who's excited about his faith and essentially says, you're not ready. You are not ready to follow me. See, this guy was clinging to the comfort of his conversion. He had the, the camp high, so to speak, the youth camp high. Came home from youth camp, was excited for a few weeks and Jesus says, you're not ready. If you follow me, you're gonna be homeless. Like you may actually be persecuted if you come and follow me. So this dude, this first would-be follower of Jesus, finds himself at a crossroads where he could either continue to pay lip service to God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, or to follow Jesus in, with an all-in mentality of leveraging his time, talent, and treasure. And I think many of us are converts who are at a crossroads where we have our conversion story and we come to church and we love Jesus. Nobody's saying that we don't love Jesus, right? You love Jesus, but you kind of keep it a little quiet. You might have a little bit of a desire to go all in to follow Jesus, but like, man, if you go all in to follow Jesus, what he's saying is there's a cost. Jesus clarifies the cost for this guy and he says, if you follow me, you might be ridiculed in your workplace. You might be outcasted by your family or social group. And I may even call you to uproot your life from Winston-Salem to go across the world, across the nation, or across the street. There is a cost to following Jesus and we cling to the comfort of our conversion. And we also cling to the comfort of control. We also cling to the comfort of control. And I know, uh, I don't struggle with control at all, and I know none of you do either, right? right? But we struggle with the comfort of our control. And we see this in this next interaction. This one's really interesting too. So chapter, uh, chapter nine, verse 59, here we are. This is the second interaction. To another, he said, this is interesting. Jesus is actually calling this guy, 
right? Jesus is the first mover in this, in this initiation. So this guy's called, right? To another, he says, follow me. But he said, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. But then Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I really empathize with this guy. A week before my family moved to Pittsburgh back in July, my father-in-law passed away. And we love my father-in-law, one of the best men I have ever met. Like, Lord, can we just grieve before we move? Like, can, can, we, can we just have the funeral? Can we get our stuff together? Can we take it slow? Like, why are you being so unreasonable with us? And I think that's a question that this guy probably had. Why are you being so unreasonable with me? My dad just died, right? Well, let me take you into the context. One of the best things a Jewish man could have done for his father was to provide a proper burial for him. But we also know as we look at the context that because of how the embalming process worked, or actually the lack thereof an embalming process at that point, uh, people who died were put in the tomb the same day of their death. We see this with Lazarus and we see this with Jesus also. So it is most likely that this guy's father actually had a few good years left in him and actually didn't die at all. He was still alive. And so what this man is actually saying is, Jesus, I have a desire to follow you. I really want to follow you, but first, let me spend these last few good years with my dad. And then let me get the inheritance that he's gonna pass down to me. And then when that happens, I'll follow you. And we do this, right? I do this. We live in a culture that is defined by me-centeredness. It's all about me. It's all about me. Our culture of me-centeredness says you should get yours first and then. And we say things like, man, uh, I'll, I'll give generously to the mission of God once I get my promotion. Or I'll, I'll go on the mission trip once I get that extra week of vacation. Or I will start serving on Sunday mornings once I finally learn how to rest on Saturday. And this is what we do in our culture of me-centeredness. But Jesus says, I, I just simply want you to comply with the command to go and to preach the gospel. And I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but you just saw a video of two of your own, two of your own from this church who uprooted their life when nothing made sense to them. They didn't have control over Brittany's dad. They didn't have jobs lined up. Their, their comfort was here. Their support system was here, their church was here, their friends were here, their jobs were here. And they put their yes on the table, God put it on the map. And they didn't cling to the comfort of control. See, Jesus wasn't being unreasonable at all. He was telling this man that the attitude of, I will follow you when, or I'll follow you once this happens, is one that a spiritually dead person has. He wasn't being unreasonable at all. We also cling to the comfort of our credibility, right? So we cling to the comfort of our conversion, we cling to the comfort of control, and we cling to the comfort of our credibility, our social cred, right? And this is what we see in the third interaction that Jesus has with this third guy on the road. This is uh, verses uh, 61 to 62. 61 and 62. Finally, there's a third guy. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, Right? He's excited, he's ready to go. I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me say my farewells. Let me say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is an agricultural reference of the day, right? So the idea was that if you were plowing a field and looked back, you wouldn't plow a straight line and uh, you'd be useless for farming. And in this case, if you look back, when it comes to making a decision to follow Jesus, you're useless for kingdom work. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But look, this was not a genuine request for a goodbye. That would make Jesus totally unreasonable. And Jesus is not unreasonable at all. What this was, was an attempt to go back home and to try and convince those who were not convincible that what he was doing was a good idea. That leaving everything he knew, his home, his parents, his comfort, the comfort that they had clinged to their entire lives to convince them that this is not the right way to live, that I wanna cleave from my comfort and go and follow Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is you can't keep one foot in the past if you want to make an impact in the future. I think many of you here today have something deep inside of you that God has put there, that he has been stirring in you for years. Maybe it's that you wanna give radically and generously to the mission of God and you just haven't done it yet. Maybe you wanna adopt, haven't done it yet. Maybe it's a mission trip, maybe it's uprooting your life to go help um, a ministry in an underserved area. Maybe it's something right here in Winston-Salem. You haven't done it yet because you know that the people in your sphere of influence, your friends, families, neighbor, uh, neighbor and coworkers would just not understand why you would cleave from the comforts that they've been clinging to their entire lives. And you just might have this fear of losing some social credibility with them. Perhaps you're tuning in online. Perhaps you're here and a friend brought you and you just feel totally disconnected from God. But you've been checking out Two Cities Church and you really like how Pastor Kyle preaches the word and every time he preaches, you kind of feel this stirring inside of your heart and you're like, this is it, this is the thing I want but you have not yet put your faith in Christ because you are afraid of what your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers might think if you follow Jesus. Hey, if that's you, I wanna encourage you to rip the bandaid off and do it today. Run toward the thing that God is calling you to. Cleave from the comfort of your credibility. And look, I, I, I get it. The, the story of these three guys, these three interactions, they really scare me. They really genuinely scare me. And here's why. The three things that they were clinging to, conversion, control, and credibility, these are good things, right? Like these are really good things. These aren't inherently bad. These aren't inherently bad at all. And I struggle with this. I cling to these things. But if there's one thing I want you to hear today, whether you're here in person or online, it's this, please don't miss this. When called People, right? Because Jesus called all of them. When called people cling to great comfort, they miss out on the great commission. When called people cling to great comfort, they miss out on the great commission. Look, Jesus doesn't need us for his mission. He doesn't. How do I know that? Because Luke 10.1 tells us that he doesn't. Check it out. Luke 10.1. After this, after what? Those three interactions, right? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. There were three guys who wouldn't step up to the plate, so he appointed 72 others. And guess what? Our God has a track record of raising up leaders and raising up entire generations who will step up to the plate if we don't. You saw that in Exodus. So why not 
leverage everything, our time, talent, and treasure. Why not be all in for the Great Commission? This idea of ushering people from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what Jesus wants for you, and that's what he wants for me. And I mentioned it earlier, it's scary. It's scary. If you cleave from your comfort, you're gonna experience things that you might not have expected. Jesus never said, said this would be easy. In, in my experience, and I think it might be your experience too, if you cleave from your comfort, here's what you're gonna experience. Number one, some days are just gonna be lonely. Some days are just gonna be really lonely. We're planting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And some of you, look, look, Pittsburgh has a PR problem. Like some of you are thinking that, as, as we say Pittsburgh, you're thinking smokestacks and smoggy air, Pittsburgh Steelers, that's awesome. I mean, they're 10 and 0, that's pretty cool. Um, but Pittsburgh's vibrant, Pittsburgh's colorful. Some of the brightest people in the world are studying and working in Pittsburgh. It's become a hub of technology and robotics and engineering and medicine and education. Like Pittsburgh is a great city, but it's also so spiritually wounded and so spiritually skeptical. By 2023, two-thirds of the Catholic churches in the city of Pittsburgh will close. That's the project, sorry, that's the plan, not the projection. It's happening. 40% of the people in the city center of Pittsburgh are now identifying as not religious at all, making it the second most irreligious city center in America behind Portland, Oregon. It is not uncommon to see a cathedral turned brewery in Pittsburgh. And now some of you are like, I'm definitely moving to Pittsburgh because I wanna drink a beer in church. Some days we'll be lonely, but our God has given us a divine cry. He's given us a divine cry and he tells us what the divine cry is in Luke 10 too. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. This is our divine cry. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to raise up and send out laborers into the harvest field. This is our divine cry. And sometimes I feel like this is all we have. Like in the loneliness, in the times when we feel like we have no friends because we left our friends and everything, just we just feel alone. This is all we have. We pray, we pray, we pray. And man, God has provided. He's provided recent college grads who've moved with us. He's provided young families, young marrieds like Brittany and DJ. He continues to provide our pre-COVID goal like before COVID was a thing, our goal was that we would have 40 people who were all in committed to our launch team by December 31st, 2020. And as it stands right now in the midst of COVID, God has provided 39. This is our divine cry and he answers it. Some days will be lonely. And some days, some days are just gonna be uncertain. Like if you cleave from your comfort, if you cleave from your comfort, some days will be uncertain. They'll just be really uncomfortable. Like they won't feel good. And I think the 72 felt this, right? Check out verses three and four in chapter 10. Check out verses three and four in chapter 10. Jesus says to them, go, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That sounds comforting, doesn't it? And then he takes it one step further. He says, take nothing with you. Take no money, no backpack, no sandals, and greet nobody along the way. Thanks, Jesus. A 72 felt this. 
They felt this uncomfortable uncertainty as they were going to prepare the way for Jesus to enter the town. And we feel this. I mean, there are nights where I can't sleep. There are nights where I'm up and I see one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock on my phone. And the anxiety starts to rise and the questions begin to swirl in my head. Like, like, is anybody gonna show up to this thing that we're trying to do? Like, is anybody gonna come? Are we gonna reach anybody? Like, are our boys ever gonna make any friends in Pittsburgh? What's gonna happen to our finances when our church partnerships run out in three years? Like, and, and the anxiety just rises and it's crippling. In the midst of the uncertainty and, this, and the discomfort, we know this, we know that our God gives us divine comfort. Our God gives us divine comfort. So in those nights when I can't sleep and the anxiety rises, I go before the Lord and I remind myself that if he is sending us out as sheep among wolves, he's still a good shepherd. And I get out of my bed or I lay in bed and this is what I pray. Before the Lord as I find divine comfort. I say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then I say amen. He gives me divine comfort and I get the best sleep you can possibly imagine in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of the discomfort. And finally, some days are just gonna feel impossible. If you cleave from your comfort, some days are just going to feel impossible. We are planting a church. We're starting a new church in the middle of a pandemic in a state that is a political battleground. One of our neighborhoods is 40% Jewish. When I told our neighbor that we wanted to be a church for that neighborhood, she laughed at us. That's a true story. She laughed at us. Our cultural moment is crazy. There's conversations about everything where nobody can seem to agree. And it just feels like we are climbing Everest some days. But get this, our God has given us divine revelation of a conclusion that is beautiful. Our God has revealed to us a divine conclusion. Our God has revealed to us a divine conclusion. So when the days feel impossible, we can cling to this conclusion. Let me tell you about this conclusion. It's in verse 21. So we skip a few. What they do is they go out and they start doing the ministry and they, they, God is working through the 72 in incredible ways, right? They, they cast out demons. They're seeing dead people raised to life. I mean, hordes and hordes of people are, are coming to hear them and they're gathering crowds and they come back and they're excited about how God has worked through them. So they report back to Jesus and they're joy-filled about it. And Jesus says to them in verse 20, this is the divine conclusion. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. How freeing 
How liberating and empowering and encouraging is it to the follower of Jesus who is cleaving from their comfort to know that no matter what you do, where you go, how lonely you feel, how uncertain it might feel, how impossible the task in front of you might seem, that your name is etched in stone in heaven, sealed, done. And it's this truth, it's this truth that allows us to cleave from our comfort and to step into the great commission. We're gonna start landing the plane with you guys. I wanna tell you a story. Let me tell you about Meredith and Vimbai. Meredith um, is on our team and um, she's getting her PhD at Pitt at the University of Pittsburgh in occupational therapy. She works at the Gap part-time for some extra cash. So she's grinding, she's grinding it out. She invited Vimbai to one of our weekly connect groups. It's our midweek small group ministry. Vimbai shows up and She's new, she's kind of exploring her faith and uh, she's got lots of questions. Follow up with her the next day and I get to share the gospel with her. Get to share the good news of, of Jesus with her. And at the end of it, I drew a picture and at the end of it, I said, hey, does this make sense? And she's like, this is crystal clear, but I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. And I was like, okay, that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> so she still wanted to be part of our launch team, right? So she turns in this assessment to us. It's something that we do to make sure that the people who are joining our team right now aren't crazy. Um, and in it, she wrote that she was a brand new follower of Jesus. And I thought, well, that's confusing because last time we hung out, you told me you weren't ready for this. So I called her up and I said, Vimbai, I'm confused. What is, what is going on here? And she said, I thought about what you shared with me last week and I've decided that I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so on December 10th, we're having our first ever gathering at Steel City Church. We're doing a one-off Christmas gathering and we're getting to baptize Vimbai at this gathering. God's working in amazing ways, but let me focus on Meredith real quick. All right, let me focus on Meredith. I knew Meredith when, um, when she was a college student. I was on staff at a church in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Meredith saying, you gotta have the spiritual conversations. You gotta share the gospel. Go tell people about Jesus. And she looked at me and said, those make me really uncomfortable and I am just not going to do it. But Meredith began to loosen her grip on her comforts. Right, she was cleaving from her comfort. She actually moved with us to be part of our team. And a few weeks ago, here's what Meredith told me. She said, those conversations still make me really uncomfortable, so I just decided to pray. I decided to pray that the Lord would connect me with a friend who is disconnected from God. So she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And look what God did. Look what God did. And it all just started with prayer. So I'm gonna ask you all to pray. If you would, take out your phone. I told you when we started that we, I would end with a challenge and I would invite you to do something with me that I do every single day. So go ahead, take out your phone. Take out your phone, you can do that. Take out your phone. And I would want you, I wanna ask you to set an alarm for 10.02 a.m., a daily alarm for 10.02 a.m., right? Luke 10.2, he tells us to pray earnestly. Jesus tells us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers and to send them into his harvest field. So every day, would you pray with me at 10.02 a.m. for one minute that the Lord would raise up workers from Two Cities Church and that he would send them. Maybe it'll be to Pittsburgh. 
That'd be awesome. Maybe it'll be somewhere else. Maybe it'll be across the world. Maybe it'll be part of a, a ministry that you guys support right here in Winston-Salem. But would you pray with me every single day at 10.02 a.m. for one minute that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to send out from Two Cities Church. I'm gonna pray that prayer for you guys right now as you continue to set your alarms. Father, love you. And I'm so thankful so thankful for this church, so thankful for Jesus, so thankful that our names are etched in stone, written in the book of life. How freeing is that for the follower of Jesus? And Lord, if there's somebody tuning in online or there's somebody uh, here today who's disconnected from you, they feel that stirring in their heart, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they say, I am going to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in the midst of our uh, discomfort, the midst of our loneliness, the midst of those tasks that just seem impossible. Lord, help us to be a people who cleave from our comforts and step into your great commission because that is your desire for us, your people. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we pray this prayer to the Lord of the harvest in your name. Amen.